0: Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, welcome to session 101 of Selling the Couch. I feel like I need to say like 101 Dalmatians or something, but I'm going to just say 101 is Selling the Couch. Hope you guys are having a wonderful day. I am very excited for today's topic because this is a topic that has come up a lot in our Selling the Couch community, which is how in the world do I start a group for my private practice? So if I want to run a therapeutic group, where do I get started? My guest today is Diane Webb. Diane is a licensed mental health clinician up in Albany, New York. And Diane had touched base with me because she was like, Melvin, you haven't had a topic on running groups yet. And I've been able to create two of them and we've done really well with them and it's helped a lot of folks. And uh, I would love to come on Selling the Couch to talk about it. And I was like, yeah, let's make it happen. So we're going to spend a lot of our time just talking about the kind of behind the scenes of what it takes to build a therapy group. So questions will be, you know, sharing will be how did Diane know that she was actually ready to incorporate groups into her private practice? How does she find clients for those groups? How did she get initial referrals? And what are some of the ways that she's continuing to get referrals for her group? I think her answers will surprise you. And then we talk a lot about the length and the frequency of how she has structured her groups. And then some of the top tips that she's learned along the way in building out these groups so we'll get right to it. Here is my conversation with Diane Webb from DianeWebbLMHC.com. Hi, Diane. Welcome to Selling the Couch.
1: Hi, Melvin. It's great to be here. Thank you.
0: I'm so glad you reached out because I feel like this topic of starting a groups like therapy groups within a practice, is something that a lot of our colleagues want to do, and you've done it not once, but twice.
1: Yes, shockingly. Yep, I have. I'm surprised in myself that we have two groups now, but yes, thank you.
0: I think like with any of this, right, it's always that that first step, right? We may not always know what it's going to look like, but just having the courage to step out in faith and trusting it'll work out, it makes a big difference.
1: Definitely. I think when I first started this, just to have one seems so daunting, <laughs> you know? And I think that if I could fast forward in time and see that there's two successful supportive groups going, I would have been relieved and amazed, yeah,
0: that would be amazing if we could, like had technology to do that <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: I feel like a lot of folks struggle with this is that they want to start a group, but they're not they always like put it off or they feel like they're not ready, right? so how did you know that? you were ready to even start entertaining the possibility of incorporating a group into your private practice?
1: So I often get asked this by my colleagues and I always kind of laugh because I was never ready to do this at all. And I actually didn't have any intention of being a group therapist. I really struggled with public speaking a lot. And so I thought that running groups was just maybe off the table for me. But what happened was, I was working with a client that I was very, very connected with, of course, like we all are with our clients, and really rooting for her and wanting her to get the services that she needed. And she truly needed a woman's trauma group. So we started looking, and we found that there was nothing. There were no groups that were a fit for what she needed. And the groups that were available were not taking insurance. It was all self-pay. And so the director of the group practice and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, okay, well, I guess we're doing it. (laughs) So that's how it started. So I did it for my client, really. I kind of call her my muse because of this individual. I trained myself in EMDR and I do now do group therapy. And so that's why we did it. It's to meet the needs of this one individual. But then it rippled out. And now we have helped so many more women who needed this service, too. And that feels really good.
0: It's amazing how inspiring our clients can be for us, you know?
1: Definitely, yeah.
0: So you got some evidence from that first client that a trauma group for women might be an option. But how did you, like, did you just base it off like that? It sounds like you just based it off that first client. Like, how did you know that other folks might be interested?
1: So I do specialize in trauma and looking for a group for this one individual and not having any success and being very frustrated. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, how many other people are there in my community that are looking for this and can't find it? And there's definitely a need here. Then we also reached out to other private practice groups or other individuals that we knew had in the past done some types of groups like this and they all were not in existence anymore. And so, from that, we realized that, wow, this is a service in our community that we as qualified professionals, it's our duty to provide this for people. So it kind of came down to and I was still resistant, <laughs> you know <laughs> it came down to that I felt like I was qualified to do this that I had the resources and the time to do this, and so therefore I should do this because my community needs this, and that's how it it came to be and um that's also how. I decided on this content area because I already specialize in trauma. 80% of my caseload is, you know, having to do with trauma. And that's how we built that first group.
0: It's like you said a lot of really good stuff, which is I think sometimes we can feel the urge to create something that doesn't come naturally to us or that's outside of what we have expertise in. But you, it sounds like there was a time period where you kind of looked at what you had expertise in and then saw the needs of the community, and then move forward in that way.
1: Yes, that's definitely exactly how it went.
0: So you said earlier that you reached out to other group practices, and then you also reached out to folks that may have had groups previously. How did you find those, that they actually had those groups if they didn't exist?
1: A lot of it was word of mouth. My commitment to finding that one in, that one first client a group really led me to call, I mean, probably at least 20 to 25 people in my community to say, do you know of any groups like this? Have you heard of any? And then somebody would say, oh, years ago, you know, this person was doing this. And so I'd call that person and do, say the same spiel. And then they would lead me somewhere else. And it was dead end after dead end after dead end. But also on psychology today, they have an excellent way to advertise for groups. And so we checked on there um, but again, there wasn't a good fit on there either for her.
0: You did the uh, non-glorious part of <laughs> forming something, which is you actually took the time to, to like validate it. Right? You found it. You looked on Psychology Today. You actually reached out to people that had done these groups prior. When you reached out to those people that had uh, had these groups before, like what was just offhand and not at all to put you on the spot, but like what was like one pearl of wisdom that you kind of gained from them?
1: it was good for the time, but it couldn't last forever. That's what the feedback that I got was that we did it for a time, but we had to let it go or the provider that was doing that is no longer with us right now, you know? So for whatever reason, the group kind of disseminated after a while and then nobody kind of picked it up after the fact.
0: Right. So I guess when you got that kind of feedback, I would imagine if I were in that situation, I would be like, uh, do I really want to start this if this is not going to last a while? How did you like work through that?
1: You know, honestly, it was my commitment to that person. I know I keep referring back to it, but my commitment to providing a service that I knew she needed and perhaps other people needed, and when I focused on really the the service in the community and the needs of women trauma survivors, that filled me up enough that it was okay if it didn't last forever or if it was okay if I only did it for a certain amount of months, and they got what they could out of it. I could say that I did everything I could possibly do for my community and for this client that I've been working with who really needed this. And that was enough for me to just forge forward, even though I was very nervous.
0: Diane, it's such a beautiful perspective, because I think you just said something which is so subtle, which is that you didn't attribute your own self-worth to the success or failure of this group, right? You focused on the client and You knew you wanted to create something that could best help her and others like her who had been through trauma.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of laughing because I think some of my colleagues that, you know, they were giving me a lot of support through this process. And they would tell you that, yeah, I had a lot of doubts about my self-worth, you know, at the time, but it was secondary, you know, that I kind of saw that as part of the process of doing something new and different and definitely something that I didn't know I would be capable of doing. But then again, knowing that the people needed it and then all of those other fears kind of I just I did my own self-care. You know, I did a lot of, you know, CBT for myself. Right. And a lot of reframing my negative thoughts and all of that stuff so that I could clear all that and just focus on the task ahead.
0: So you had this one ideal client. How did you go about finding additional clients for the group?
1: So we did a lot of marketing in the beginning, and I'm actually glad that you mentioned that because I think it's really important to take a long view perspective when you're starting a group, that when you are getting a group from the ground up, you're not going to have, I mean, you could, it's great if you have a whole big group, but you're not going to have 10 people in the beginning, most likely, and to not expect that of yourself and that doesn't mean that you're not going to have a successful group in the future. So if you only start with three or four people, that's great, and start there. You know, what we did is we marketed a lot to other practices, uh, private practice clinicians, to psychiatrists in the area, for some inpatient substance abuse treatment programs that didn't have some trauma groups in house already. He reached out to them through emails and phone calls to let them know what we were doing and how it could benefit their clients. So there was a lot of that, a lot of reaching out, a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls. And at the end of the day, when we were first starting the group, most of the referrals came from our own clients because we already had that trusted relationship with them and they already understood our style and What we were going to bring to the group. So, most of the clients came from our own caseload in the beginning.
0: That's cool. Out of all the marketing stuff that you guys did, you know, building relationships, reaching out on phone letters, what do you think was like the most effective way in that initial step?
1: For all of that, the most effective marketing tool has by far been psychology today. So, we made a little advertisement. On my Personal Psychology Today profile about the groups with a little description and the days and the times, And much to my delight and surprise, when you Googled trauma groups, Albany, New York, it was like the first listing.
0: Wow, that's awesome.
1: (laughs) And I didn't know that was going to happen. So it was just like, well, bonus. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So that truly has helped us tremendously to keep the groups going into and help new people to find us.
0: Yeah. Okay. This is going to be like a little bit of a nerdy question, but did you guys like think about like keywords and stuff? You know, on that Psychology Today profile, did you guys think like, oh, we want to rank for trauma groups? Or did you just write the profile? And
1: Yeah, I mean, we just we were winging it. And I'm certainly not technology advanced in any way, you know, so I just wrote up the description and just did it. And then I think the next day or a couple of days later, I googled trauma groups, Albany, New York to see if it would even show up at all. And then it was the first listing and I had a little victory dance in my office (laughs) because out of surprise and happiness that that actually worked out.
0: You know, it's amazing. Like we're talking about this journey and I just keep thinking like, what if you had stopped, right? And that initial part of just been like, I don't know if I can sustain this or too many people have tried and I don't know if I should even be doing this. Like none of this would have happened, right?
1: Absolutely. And, and looking back on the journey, it's been a couple years now of these groups. And the first one, we did things then, my partner and I, that were so different from how we would do them now. And one thing that I'm really proud of that we do is we truly listen to the feedback of our participants. We let them know that like, this is your group. We're just here to help you guys, but it's your group. And they inform us about the content that feels good, the content that they're not ready for, how long they want to be there. And we really take their feedback and we make changes and and we adapt as much as possible to meet the needs of those clients.
0: How often do you guys get that feedback from clients?
1: I guess less now, you know, now that we're kind of like in, we're all into a rhythm, mm-hmm. you know. So we do get feedback less now, but I would say maybe like now once a month or so, we might get a little tip like, hey, I would really like to do this in group or do that. The nature of the feedback has changed. So in the beginning, it was a lot of administrative things. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we need to sit together longer instead of just an hour. I think we need an hour and a half. We were getting that feedback. So we did meet that. We extended it to an hour and a half. Other feedback about, you know, how many reminders they want about the group beforehand, you know, and what feels good. So I regularly send a text to all group participants and that's been well received to help them remember about group. So it was a lot of administrative things in the beginning, but now it's more about like I'm really interested in doing a group on meditation, you know, or they'll give us ideas about what they've been thinking about and what they want to learn more about. And then we, of course, do our best to see that through.
0: That's awesome. When you guys got that feedback, was it more just reaching out to folks or did you have did you do surveys or how did you gather that information?
1: We make it very clear that we want this group to meet their needs and to work with them as much as possible. And please always talk to us. So I think that we've done a really good job of creating open dialogue in the group And not taking ourselves so seriously, like there's a really, we know we do a power sharing model where even though we're the group leaders, I guess if you have to use that word, it doesn't mean that we're the ultimate decision makers here, you know, Mm, that together, this is our therapeutic space and our space to grow together. And I think that type of power sharing model fosters the feedback in a good way.
0: Yeah, it's a lot more collaborative. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have branched from one trauma group. Is the second group, is that a trauma-based group as well?
1: It is, and we decided to do a second one because our first one is in the middle of the day on a weekday. And so, again, as a service to our community, we were recognizing that anybody that worked regular business hours could not come to our group. And it didn't feel right. So then we decided to add an evening group so that people who work regular business hours would still have access to a trauma group in our area.
0: That's awesome. What would you say is now, what would you say is the number one way that you fill these groups?
1: So it's hard to say a number one way, but I do think that there's three referral sources that are pretty equal. So one of them, are other trauma therapists in the area, who refer their clients to go to our group in conjunction with the treatment that they're doing. The other is still Psychology Today, and thank you, Google, <laughs> for that. And the third is continues to be our own clients.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's such a good combo. I mean, it makes perfect sense why you receive referrals from all of those, and shout out to Google. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Gratitude for Google. <laughs>
0: I wanted to ask a little bit about a couple of things. One is the length and the frequency of of the groups that you guys are doing now.
1: Sure. This is a really good question because I think that every group would need a different type of equation for that. So I do women's trauma groups and I really encourage people to think about their clinical goals for the people that they're serving in the group. So for me, because I'm serving women with a history of trauma, My goals for them are to create connections, to learn trust with people that they haven't met, to feel empowered. And in order to meet those three goals, it was really important that they decide when they come to group, and they also decide when they have grown away from group. So I don't want to tell people, myself, that, okay, so you don't need to come to group anymore, or you shouldn't come to group anymore. It's important for them to design their own treatment Now, of course, in the event that something enormously inappropriate happens in group, you know, or we have to set limits for whatever reason, then we would have to tell them maybe group isn't right for you right now. But we take that very, very seriously for the trauma group. And it's really, I feel that the therapeutic benefit of somebody saying, I have gotten what I need from this group and I'm choosing to move on for my population is top priority. Then again, I have done a group. It's called a Wellness Recovery Action Plan group, and that's based on Mary Ellen Copeland's uh, therapeutic approach, which I'm a huge fan of. And that group is just about learning wellness skills and a daily proactive plan to reduce interference from symptoms. So that group didn't need to be an open ended group. Right. There was something that we were teaching a skill set. It was almost like a class. And so we had that all pre-planned out. And then on the last day, they were pulling together their wellness plans. So that group, the clinical need was for a time-limited group. In my group, the clinical need is for it to be like ongoing, right?
0: Yeah, so you're saying a subtle thing, which is important. So we kind of determine, we need to determine like the why of the group, right? And that will, and answering that why or the purpose of that group will Lead to some clarity in terms of both structure as well as the actual length of it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And also, what are the other services that your group participants are going to be in in conjunction with your group? And that really informed us too, because it is it's mandatory for people in our trauma groups to be seen individually as well. So, if we're asking to be seen individually, we felt that it was really cumbersome for them to then go to group every single week as well. So we made that decision that for us to have them come every other week would meet their needs much better.
0: I love how like thoughtful you guys have been through this because yeah, I mean, you want it to be helpful, you don't want it to overwhelm, especially on a topic like trauma.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And it sounds like how did you guys determine like so within like how long is the actual group that you run now, and how did you determine the meeting like each meeting like do you guys meet for ninety minutes like how did you determine that length?
1: So for both groups, we started with an hour, and our lunch time. Well, I say lunch time because it starts at twelve thirty. That group got quite large at one point, and that group is a very well established. It's our actually, it's our original women's trauma group there, and so there's a lot of catching up that happens in the beginning of the session. You know, like, hey, what's new with you? What's new with you? You know, mm-hmm. before we get to work. And the woman actually requested that we meet longer because they wanted to be able to have more discussion and to get into the meat of the material more. And so because of that, we then extended it to an hour and a half. But our evening group remains an hour and their needs are different, too, because, you know, they just got out of work and then after a group, they have to go home and eat dinner and get ready for the next day, you know. So for them, the hour is more beneficial than the hour and a half. Yeah.
0: And I don't necessarily like having hard and fast rules like this, but if someone were just starting out and thinking about a group, would Bauer be kind of a good starting point and then getting feedback from potential members of the group to see if that fits? Would you do it that way or how would you approach it?
1: Yeah, if I could go back, I would do it that way too. Because one thing they have to remember about a group is that like in a therapy session, an individual session, You often take at least five minutes of just, hey, how's it going? What's new, right? But in a therapy group, you have to times that by like at least three, right? So you have maybe even up to 10, 15 minutes of catching up and hellos and greetings. And so then when you think about it, then you only have 45 minutes left, you know. So it is a good starting point. But being able to maybe not so quick to have somebody scheduled right after that hour, you know, to kind of plan ahead and say, like, well, the hour is good, but maybe, you know, in a month or two, I might need some more time. So I'm not going to schedule a regular client right after group.
0: Yeah. So thinking not just about like, this is our group that we're running this week, but let me also think about potentially how this group could grow. And uh, let me at least set up those parameters now, as opposed to, you know, then realizing we need an hour and a half, but I already have a regular client scheduled the next hour. And how am I going to fit that in?
1: Yes, for sure.
0: As we wrap up, I wanted to ask you a question, which is what's like the number one, like pearl of wisdom or the number one tip that you would give to a colleague who wants to start a group within their private practice?
1: So I think that it's important if you're going to do a group to make it a topic that you are incredibly passionate about. Like you can't get enough of this topic. You think this topic is one of the most important things in the world. The reason for that is even though, you know, you might have group once a week or once every other week, you're going to be reading about this topic so much to get ready. You know, you're always going to be looking for new content. So you're going to spend a great deal of mental energy on this topic. You're going to have to do your screenings in between. So because of all of that time that's necessary, it's really important that like your passion is not going to extinguish quickly on that topic. But also that passion that you have for the topic that will be energetically transmitted in your presentation to your clients, too. Yeah. So if you're kind of lukewarm about the topic, you know, that will also translate to the clients, whether you realize it or not.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's such a great pearl of wisdom. Diane, thank you so much for doing this. And I can just tell, like, based on our conversation, I love how thoughtful you are. And I'm sure your clients are, I mean, it's just for your clients. What a gift you must be for them.
1: Oh, thank you. That's so kind. Thank you, Melvin.
0: What are some of the best ways that folks can get in touch with you?
1: Sure. So I do have a website. It's very new. I think I just built it a couple days ago. It's dianeweblmhc.com. I actually have a little blog that goes off of the topics that we cover in the groups that I was just talking about on that website. And you know email is very good it's diane l m h c at gmail dot com
0: awesome Diane, Thank you again for doing this. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Diane. I felt like this was another one of those episodes where I was trying not to take notes during the conversation. I know that this topic of creating a group and wanting to add group therapeutic services to private practices has been a topic that's been on the mind of lots of clinicians. My hope is that today's podcast session, I really encouraged you and also gave you answered some of the, the struggles and the questions that you've had. You know, as I was thinking about this topic and my conversation with Diane, I think the thing that really resonated for me, and this is true just for groups, but also just in business in general, is that Diane had this vision of wanting to create a group, but her vision wasn't so large that you know, she didn't have these sort of unrealistic expectations, like I was going to have 10 or 15 people in my group right at the onset. Instead, she saw that part of building this group would be that there might be a smaller number initially, but because she had a smaller number, it allowed her to tweak and perfect the group and work on topics and figure out content and all of those different things so that when the group did get bigger, that she already had a lot of those systems and resources in place. Show notes to today's episode can be found at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number one zero one. As you guys heard uh, in last week's podcast episode and a couple of episodes before that, but uh I'll be taking a little bit of a break from the Selling the Couch podcast. So this will go live the week before Thanksgiving have a wonderful Thanksgiving and uh we'll be taking a break for the week of Thanksgiving and the entire month of December. I would not be honest with you, but uh you know, after a hundred and one episodes I've taken a single week off, which was last Thanksgiving. Other than that I've released an episode every single week for the past gosh, coming on almost two years, so I just need a little bit of a break, a mental break, just to focus and Reevaluate and things that we're doing well with the podcast, things that we could improve, and then my plan is to come back and uh, be renewed and have some wonderful conversations starting back in January. And what I'll likely be doing is um, also taking a break in June to do kind of a similar process to analyze, and then starting back episodes in July. So essentially, we would go through from July to the week before Thanksgiving, and then we would do January up until the last week in May. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. I am just so grateful and uh, so humbled at the way the podcast is growing and for all of your thoughtful notes and emails. I never envisioned any of this when I first started selling the couch. It's amazing to see how uh, this little podcast that I continue to record out of a home office has impacted so many. We do such important work in the world, and I am so grateful for each of you and for your passion and for the folks that you want to serve. I realize that more than ever in doing this podcast that our services and the gifts that we have to give to the world, they're needed more than ever. I just wanted to take a moment to thank each of you for the work that you're doing in the world. Have a wonderful holiday season and uh, I will see you guys in January. Take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.